Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in the City podcast series from the Center for Teaching Excellence and Innovation, also called City, at Rush University. Teaching in the City features conversations with faculty and staff on topics related to teaching and learning at one of the nation's leading academic medical centers. My name is Dr. Angela Solik, and I'm the director of City. It has been my own personal mission to help faculty become better educators, and leading City helps me on that mission. Welcome everyone to this episode of Teaching in the City. I'm Angela Solik, the Director of City, and today we're chatting with Jenny Popova, Assistant Professor in Occupational Therapy, and Bridget Hahn, Assistant Professor and Academic Coordinator for Occupational Therapy, about a recent research study that they have performed. First, could you both please introduce yourselves, tell us who you are, what you teach at Rush, and your areas of expertise. Thank you for having us on, Angela. We're so excited to be here. Um, My name is Jenny, and I've been teaching at Rush for a little bit over a year and a half now. And um, my area of expertise is in pediatrics and occupational therapy. So I primarily do coaching with parents um, and their children and looking at how we can facilitate kids' ability to participate in everyday activities. Um, And I specifically do that through parent training. But outside of my clinical practice, Most of my expertise, I would say, is in teaching uh, clinical pediatric skills to occupational therapy students. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to kind of teach students how to be playful and good collaborators with parents. Wonderful. How about you, Bridget? Um, So I am Bridget Hahn, and yes, thank you, Angela, so much for having us on. We're really excited about the opportunity to share more of our research with you all. Um, As I mentioned, my name is Bridget Hahn. My background is working with individuals with physical disabilities. I worked for about 10 years at a large inpatient rehabilitation hospital. I also did work in outpatient, primarily with individuals, again, with physical disabilities. I started um, here at Rush in 2018, and I teach uh, principles of movement along with occupational therapy process and um, neurological interventions. Exciting. All right, so in broad strokes, can you tell us a little bit about the focus of the study that we're talking about today? Uh, What were your objectives and what were you hoping to learn? Yeah, so when Jenny started on here, we were found a shared passion in really thinking about the well-being of clinicians. For me, I really see the idea of health itself transforming in a broader um, context in the United States. And I think occupational therapy is particularly well positioned to meet that more holistic approach of health versus just um, providing medicine to uh, conditions and looking at it from that impairment based. And I really think that that starts with our students and throughout the um, throughout our careers, really being able to care for ourselves if we want to provide quality health care. So we were both thinking in order to kind of address this need, I think we both had seen it in our practice of 
clinicians getting burnt out. And part of the reason that I transitioned to academics was to, you know, have some more autonomy and think about things differently over my schedule and have a little bit more flexibility. So I really wanted to learn more about what are the experiences of students and practitioners so we can then design interventions in the future that are best positioned to meet the needs of um, occupational therapy students and practitioners. So how we did this was we sent out a survey to occupational therapists and occupational therapy students in which we um, asked them to complete a number of a background survey, uh, well-being index, a brief resilience scale, perceived stress scale, a mindful self-care scale in which they described the frequency of certain self-care behaviors because we were interested in seeing how that correlated with well-being. Um, and then we asked just some open-ended questions on supports and barriers to well-being, both at work and at school for respectively for either practitioners or students. We wanted to kind of flip the script on a lot of the burnout literature that's out there and try and take a little bit more of a strengths-based approach and really looking at well-being as our primary outcome. That was kind of the primary focus. And this was kind of in, in contrast to a lot of the material that's out there, but this was important to us to um, try and see what's going well and just take a different approach while also looking at some of these underlying um, components with that. So we really wanted to understand the prevalence of these different things and look at their relationship between this well-being, professional quality of life, resilience and stress in OT students and practitioners. Okay. Well, so in that vein about well-being, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the challenges that occupational therapy students faced? Uh, in 2020 um, during the onset and perhaps if you know throughout the pandemic? Yes, so what I think is kind of funny is that when we started working on this project, it was before um, COVID came upon us in 2020. So we were thinking about it before the pandemic, but it did turn out to be more a uh, pandemic sort of response um, research because it because of the pandemic, it took us a little bit of time to roll the study out. Um, but what we did find is kind of very similar, I think, to what a lot of educators will relate to. Um, just seeing in a classroom, a lot of students would talk to us about having Zoom fatigue, feeling like they were on a screen too much, having a harder time staying organized, having a harder time paying attention. Um, overall, stress levels were up because people were trying to manage just their own self-care in response to the pandemic. I know a lot of us started to experiencing new anxieties, right? Um, and just general challenges of taking care of family and the uncertainty of it all. But then I think the academic stress also went up in terms of students not being sure if the online learning environment was for them. Faculty, right, scrambling to flip their classes online and that creating, you know, that was creating certain anxieties in students as well, right? Not knowing when is the content going to come through, faculty trying to learn new technologies, students trying to learn new technologies, that sort of thing. So I think the biggest challenges that we saw in our, um, and I know 
getting a little bit into the nitty gritty of the research, but mostly the big barriers to self-care that students were talking about was the general growth and workload. It seems like the workload that they were experiencing is beyond what they had in the past. Uh, and I think is because of the new systems that they were using. Just overall uh, fatigue as a result of online learning and having to be on the screen so much. Uh, difficulty with finances. A lot of students' programs got extended and that increased the stress um, of having to financially manage their time. Although they loved the decrease in commuting. So that's kind of a, that was a plus. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think what was interesting is when we asked about supports, and this is where I was getting really nervous, you know, as a faculty, I'm like, oh no, what are they going to say in terms of, am I their greatest barrier? <laughs> uh, thankfully, in terms of uh, self-care supports, the students really were saying that friends and family were their biggest go-tos, but the second in place were us, the faculty okay. and the advisors. <laughs> I know, it's uh, it was amazing. And um, having wellness resources offered through academic institutions. So I know here at Rush, we have a great wellness center um, and resources for that. And the students really across the, um, the nation, I think we we got responses from, from at least 32 states. Um, students really recognized university supports um, and wellness resources if their schools were offering that. Um, so that's kind of what we saw in terms of just some general strategies. I don't know if you, if we should go into the result, more nitty gritty of the result. So that's the next question. <laughs> so the next question is, so overall, what did you learn? I know you just touched on some of that, Jenny. Mm -hmm. So what were your general results? And did you have any, you know, preconceived suspicions that were confirmed or any sort of surprises? Yeah, so we definitely, we asked a lot of questions. The survey was pretty long, but um, to try and kind of synthesize it down, overall practitioners and students, they reported lower than expected well-being. So this was on the um, World Health Organization Well-Being Index and participants rated their well-being on five different indexes on a one to five scale. And on average, they were reporting these well-being um, behaviors or thoughts and feelings less than 50% of the time. Wow. However, I know, so that was um, a little bit discouraging. Overall, they did have average resilience and they definitely had elevated stress. So they were having, experiencing more of like the moderate stress level on the perceived stress scale, which is definitely higher than is expected in the normal population. However, they did seem to have um, some strong strengths in resilience with this average resilience. And um, they were still like kind of right in the middle on their well-being. So despite, you know, it was 2020, I know we're saying it's a little bit discouraging, but I think given the stressors that we know they were facing between the pandemic and also just changes that have occurred recently through um, Medicare funding requirements that were already kind of stressful for the profession, that they were kind of hanging in there. Then we were kind of looking at what were these, out of all the things that we've looked at, what were the big contributors to well-being? And we really found that the perceived resilience and stress as well as their self-care practices were predictors of how well they were. In general, also how they perceived their satisfaction with their self-care practice was a significant predictor of well-being. 
Um, people reported most frequently using social supports as a self-care practice. The least frequently, which this was surprising to me, was physical care. And that even included things like drinking a glass of water, drinking water, planning out meals, as well as um, working out. And we didn't kind of get into the details of this in a lot of our our work, but really physical self-care seemed to be a really important contributor. We just looked at all of them together as predictors of well-being because they were all important. However, physical self-care wasn't completed as highly and was really seemed to be crucial in how pe- how well people were. Um, and then we really wanted to see, were there any differences between students and practitioners? Just knowing that students are going on to be practitioners. We want them to not be super stressed out. And the students did report having more supports through their schools, through their organizations for well-being. However, they still um, they still reported an increased level of stress and a decreased level sense of self-compassion and purpose compared to practitioners. So I think a lot of this, I'm really interested in purpose and practice and trying to keep the meaning in healthcare. And I think that's something that's really protective as far as our well-being, if we can see purpose and satisfaction in what we're doing. And I think this is much harder for students to access. And this was apparent in some of our research that I think this is really calling, and this is, I think, the next question, but faculty to engage remind students of the purpose and the end goal, even though they're not able to see it, give them more opportunities to find meaning in the academic work as well. Um, Although those ones did reach statistically significant differences, but students did also just report lower resilience and capacity to cope with daily life stressors. And we just think that that is really of critical importance given that they're going to be the future of our healthcare. Yeah. And Kind of to build on that too, when we looked into their participation in everyday life, one thing that we found to be really interesting is that for a pretty substantial number of students, um, about 20 to 35 percent of students, they reported no longer identifying within life roles of a friend, a family member, or someone who participates in leisure activities, which I think is very, very drastic finding that is that is not a typical report for, um, you know, in terms of if you're thinking at a nationally representative sample outside of the pandemic domain, it's not typical for people to not at all identify within the role of a friend or a family member or someone who just does some kind of hobby, right? Arts and crafts, reading a book, listening to music. Um, and it's not that this, these people did not want to identify within those roles, is that they actually really wanted to be participating in those roles right here and now, but for one reason or another, they couldn't. So it did um, make us think about just how much disruption students experienced in their ability to stay connected with their friends and their with their ability to stay connected with their family um, and be able to do just general relaxation things that helps us get through graduate and undergraduate education. Um, and that was quite honestly, the biggest surprise for me of how much disruption folks experienced. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, even as a non-student, I can relate. 
you know, to that. And maybe everybody can relate to that too. So I think you you hit on this question a little bit as well, but maybe we can get uh, some more into the weeds about uh, learning that one of the barriers to maintaining well-being and self-care was that big shift to online learning and the experience of Zoom fatigue. So what did you learn from students about these types of experiences through your study? And have you observed them in yourselves and in your own students? Yeah, I think honestly, the biggest thing is just having difficulty staying focused, right? That idea of being so exhausted from the online spaces being in the same room. I don't, I'm sure many of us can relate to this sense of like just feeling trapped, like feeling yeah. trapped on Zoom. Um, and I wonder if a part of it too is what influenced lack of connectedness with some other social networks. Because if you're spending the mo most of your day watching videos, talking to people online, right? At the end of the day, it's hard to make that extra hour to connect with your family and friends through a virtual setting. Um, and I think observing those elements in a classroom, both Bridget and I have been trying to think really carefully about, well, how do we help students get through this? Um, <laughs> How can we make the online learning in a virtual realm more comfortable? Can we record our lectures online so students can pace themselves through it? When we're doing online learning activities, how can we detach ourselves from Zoom a little bit, right? Even doing some kind of interactive activities or integrating social time into what they're doing. And that seemed to very much help um, just in terms of bringing in some kind of interactive element to increase engagement, because I think as a result of Zoom tick fatigue, um, students really had a harder time just being present for class. And we are hearing a lot through just the grapevine, the student grapevine um, of how it's harder for students to really be like take school seriously, right? While sitting, in their bedroom, right, or going through online learning modules, it's a lot harder for them to not only stay focused, but really like embrace that role of an online student, right, a hybrid learner, because that's not something that they signed up for. They signed up for an in-person program for that very reason they wanted to be hands-on. Right, right. So you talked a little bit about the faculty role. And then Bridget, earlier, you kind of talked about some things related to faculty members. Uh, you kind of see this data as a bit of a call to action to faculty. And so how do you think faculty members can continue or start to support wellness in their students and also in themselves? Yeah, I think this is such an important question. I'm really glad that this made the final cut of our questions. And I really do feel pretty strongly that prioritizing our own self-care first has to be the first thing, because I think as faculty members, we're all very high achieving. We're all strongly identified with our roles as an occupational therapist and as faculty members. But if we look at um, how that's translating to our students not having other life roles. You know, they're really only identifying their roles of students. And if we're not modeling that we can be um, more than just occupational therapists and just family members, that we are just um, faculty members, but that we are, we have other important relationships, that we um, 
have boundaries around our work and that we're able to care for ourselves. I think with what we know about learning, how important modeling is. And I think as faculty members, we're really big role models and that's how students learn. And if they're, um, this is something that I am definitely still working on, but I think it's a discussion that needs to happen at the faculty level on how we can model good self-care practices as well if we want that to translate over. I think another big piece is just acknowledging the humanity that we all have, that we're all experiencing challenges and modeling that to students as well, showing a little bit of vulnerability. And I think that we can hold space for both setting really high standards and expectations of their academic performance while all also holding space for acknowledging them as human beings, as more complex people, as having other um, other things that are going on in their lives, especially during this time and being more flexible and just kind as well. Um, so I think we can get into uh, some of the more specific strategies and some of the next questions. So I won't give it all, all of that information now, but I'm curious, Jenny, if you have anything else to add to that. Yeah, I really appreciate what you mentioned about just keeping in mind the common humanity of this experience. I think a lot of times um, academia is perceived as the place for the toughest, you know, the toughest crowd. It needs to be hard if, you know, no pain, no gain sort of attitude, I think sometimes seeps through into the classroom. And I think acknowledging that it's okay to work hard, but also it's important for us to take time off. It's important for us to not burn out. It is okay for us to ask for help. It is fine for us as faculty to give an extension. The world is not going to collapse. Uh, so thinking about those elements and thinking about how can we just create classroom environments more supportive so that students really do feel that social connectedness and um, with both their peers and faculty, especially in the space where it's a lot harder to have those hallway conversations, right? You can't just pop in into someone's office um, when you're online and just reminding students that we're there for them and making time for just to socially connect and chat and maybe quote unquote, waste some time <laughs> and just talk about the weekend, uh, it's gonna be okay. And in fact, like maybe it will just make all of us um, better humans and more engaged and more connected with what's happening in a classroom. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to make a comment on that because uh, most recently we had a class of online teaching course design students go through uh, City's OTCD class and several of them mentioned that they really hadn't thought about their students' perspective. And now that they were in a student role and realizing the things that have affected their ability to turn things in on time, it's it, that shift in perspective made all the difference. And so I'm not saying everyone has to become a student for five weeks in order to, to have that realization, but just us talking about it, that if you're put in that position, you suddenly realize how important it is to be kind and to be flexible, right? And understanding. Mm -hmm. So moving mm -hmm. on on that, so what can Rush do? So what can we do at Rush at all the different levels, right? Department level, institutional level, course level, whatever you want to talk about to support the students in their wellness and well-being. And, and how can we 
what might that look like? Yeah, Bridget and I have been thinking really hard about this for quite a while. And we keep on coming to this image of just like a well-being like bubble, right? And like having a core, um, a core that keeps you strong. And um, that would be your self-care, your ability to practice mindfulness and just to be gentle on yourself and other people around you. So I think the number one strategy that we recommend to everyone just to keep your own mental health and well-being is just modeling some really good self-care. Like if you need a break, take a break. If you need an extension from your students, right? And ask, asking them to give you a couple more days to finish grading something, it's going to be fine. You can let them know. They will understand. Uh, so I think the number one recommendation that we have is just taking care of ourselves as faculty and making sure that we're modeling that practice and allowing ourselves to be a little bit vulnerable. I know that there's a lot of you know professional boundaries, et cetera, but it's good for students to see that we also are humans um, because sometimes they think we're hyperhuman and we're not. Um, on a classroom level, some of our favorite strategies that we've been um, integrating into our teaching is thinking about kind of three levels of self-care. So thinking about mental health, how can we support our students' mental health? How can we support their interpersonal health, knowing that students are driven toward that relational support with peers? So thinking about how can we support their interpersonal relationships, both with us and their peers? And then last but not least, movement and just mental breaks. Um, it is so hard to sit in a chair all day long. How can we do that? So for, from the mental health perspective, we've been thinking about just integrating positive affirmation exercises. Tell us about the best thing about your day. What are your greatest strengths, right? Doing a lot of appreciative inquiry sort of questioning where you start, um, you start the discussion by asking students, you know, if there was no limitations, if, if it was like the best case scenario, what would you do? What would it look like? So integrating a lot of positive psychology into our discussions with the students, into the way that we phrase content on the assignments, not only just talking about barriers to things, but also thinking about something that's going well. Uh, making sure to integrate some action planning exercises into the curriculum as well. So helping students really organize themselves and, and manage their time better. It's so easy to get overwhelmed when, when there's a million different online modules coming your way. So giving students some mental strategies to both stay solution focused, but also clearly plan their plan of attack and how they're gonna learn all this stuff. Um, from the social element, ensuring that we're making some social check-in times. One of my students recommended to give students free access to breakout rooms to just go in there and hang out without faculty and catch up with their peers. Because usually when they're in small discussion uh, breakout rooms, they feel like they have to be productive. So giving them permission to just go and chat with their classmates for five minutes is a basic thing that one of my students wanted. And it's like, why not? Why can't we give them that? Of course we can give them that. Um, and then my favorite, integrating movement and mental breaks. Uh, so not giving students just a break to go to the bathroom. You have to do that. But in addition to that, integrating some just time for mindfulness and movement into the actual curriculum. So for my pediatric class, it's been, it's been pretty easy to do because then we can do kids yoga, we can do <laughs> kids breathing exercises. It's really fun for me. Some students do not appreciate the goofiness of it, but even those students smile. So um, I had a student who chatted me and he said, you made me smile, how dare you? <laughs> Because he was so not excited about doing this go noodle goofy hip hop dance that we were 
practicing. <laughs> um, so even if they're shy about it, it still kind of at least brings a smile to their um, to their face. And I know Bridget is doing a lot of this in her adult classes as well. Bridget, what are your strategies in the adult physical disabilities classes? Yeah, we definitely have a lot of opportunities to do more things hands-on in occupational therapy. And even in this summer, I'm teaching an all online course, but we've been really making time to prioritize the first start of class, providing students an opportunity to have like some sort of mindful transition onto the Zoom classroom, just because there are so many distractions. I remind them again of like the purpose. So like, think of what you're going to do with this information. Now we all have a lot of things going on. Take a moment to like close down your email, maybe write down a few things that are on your mind. Now let's set that aside and remember that this is about becoming an occupational therapist. This is going to really help you provide good healthcare in the future and really grounding um, students into what's important and their purpose, I think is something that I've done, which isn't the physical care, but um, just kind of one of the strategies that I wanted to highlight. Wonderful. So if, if faculty members or staff members, whoever's listening, want to learn more about this research that you did, would they be able to contact you to get some more information? Yes, we would love to stay connected and talk to folks more. We have an occupational therapy. We last summer, um, last summer, right, yes, <laughs> published a continuing education article on how you can just practice empathy and self-care on an organizational level. So that work is already out there. And we're currently this summer working really hard while also practicing self-care and being gentle on ourselves with our timelines on uh, trying to get this research published. So hopefully in the next uh, half a year or so, there's gonna be an article on all of this. But in the meantime, we would love folks to just yeah. reach out and email us with any questions. We're happy to share anything and everything that we have in store. In terms yes. Yes, we'd love for people to contact us. And I really do want to highlight, I know our time is running out, just the other support of the Wellness Center here at Rush. So I know that was kind of the last question organizational-wise that we, um, I know they rolled out the Wellness Center kind of right in the height of the pandemic, but how can we remind our students, remind faculty, staff to go use the resources because they really are an amazing center and such a unique support that we have here at Rush. So use it, talk about it, get involved with them too. Thank you so much, Jenny and Bridget, for meeting with me today and talking with us on Teaching in the City. I appreciate your time. Hope you have a wonderful day and thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks, thank you. All. Thank you for joining us for Teaching in the City. This podcast is produced by the Center for Teaching Excellence and Innovation at Rush University. To learn more about City and to find additional resources and events on teaching and learning at Rush, search for CTEI Rush in your web browser or find us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts.